You can email Pete at the Pete Callender Show, or you can hit me up on uh, Twitter at Pete Callender. Um, well, okay. So um, heading into January 6th, both of the people quoted in a uh, Rolling Stones exclusive story, a rally organizer and a rally planner, not an insurrection planner, not an insurrection organizer. These are rally planner or, and organizer people that spoke exclusively to Rolling Stone because... We all know that in the conservative world, in Republican circles, Rolling Stone magazine is a credible place to take your story. Okay, they say that the Capitol was never in play. Now, granted, I had to go to the very last page of a, let's see here, one, two, three, four, five, six-page story. A six-page story and I had to go to the third, sorry, fourth paragraph from the end to find out that the Capitol was never part of their plan. So here you have all of this story focusing on all the coordination that was going on with these members of Congress and us, the organizer and rally of the uh, uh, organizer and planner of the rally, but the Capitol was never part of any of the plans. A senior staffer for a Republican member of Congress who was also granted anonymity to discuss the ongoing investigation similarly says they believe the events would only involve supporting objections on the House floor. The staffer says their member was engaged in planning that was, quote, specifically and fully above board. A whole host of people let this go a totally different way. They bleeped it up for a lot of people who are planning to present evidence on the House floor. We were pissed off at everything that happened. Right, because Republicans wanted to use this opportunity with the certification of the vote. They wanted to present evidence, put it into the record, make their case, and then that was going to be the end of it. But because of the yahoos who stormed the building, the Republicans never got a chance to do that. So they're hacked off now because that was their exit ramp. Right, that was the exit ramp. Was So you could say, you know, stop the steal, we agree, and uh, here's the evidence, and we've done what we could. Let's see here. Trump allies, members of Congress, a rally is solely to take place at the ellipse, where speakers, including the former president, would present, quote, evidence about issues with the election. This demonstration would take place in conjunction with objections that were being made by Trump allies during the certification on the House floor that day there was also another piece of information and for folks uh, who have followed this a lot more closely this will be uh, this will not be news to you let me go back I think this was at the beginning of the piece where it talked about the timing of the yeah here it is Trump spoke at the rally encouraging his supporters to march to the Capitol remember and they but he made a point to say to talk with them nicely right to pressure them, but he did not go tell people to engage in violence. Some members of the audience at the Ellipse then began walking the mile and a half to the Capitol as Trump gave his speech. The barricades were stormed minutes before the former president concluded his remarks. 
So people were already walking down there. So as soon as he said, go to the Capitol, they immediately started walking. They didn't want to hear the rest of the speech. They were there for Trump. Who's talking? But we are to believe that they immediately turned on their heels and began walking. Does that not seem weird to you? Seemed weird to me at the time when I first read it. Seems kind of weird. That you start walking and you arrive at the Capitol to engage in the behavior that undermined all of the cause, right? You you go down there and you engage in this behavior as the president is still speaking. It's just curious. It's kind of like um, the guy with the Confederate denim jacket at the Glenn Youngkin event last night. Have you seen this or t- today or last night? Yeah. So now there's a whole bunch of online detective work going on. A dude shows up at the Yunkin event wearing a denim jacket and a cowboy hat. And on the back of his denim jacket, he's got a Confederate flag uh, patch. The thing's probably, I don't know, eight inches wide. It's a pretty big patch. And the thing looks brand new, like just ironed on. And I think they're in an indoor setting and he lights up a cigarette. And then as soon as he lights the cigarette, he then stands there for a couple seconds and then he bails. And so a lot of people saw that and they're like, this is another one of the Lincoln Project's plants. This is the Lincoln Project, Rick Wilson, dirty trickster guy. Um, this, is the, this is the same thing they did with the, the Tiki Torch LARPers. They sent a couple of people out to stand in front of Yunkin's bus, dressed with the tiki, uh, in like white shirts, khaki pants, ball caps, and holding tiki torches, saying we support Glenn Yunkin. And they were, they were Democrat activists. They were young Democrats, and they were there just to give a photo op in order to make people think that. The white nationalists from Charlottesville supported Glenn Youngkin, that they showed up in support of him, just like the guy with the Confederate flag on his jacket. That's the latest now today. So we'll see what happens with that. All of these things, these dirty tricks, these are sort of like false flag operations, right? So have you heard the name Ray Epps? Have you heard about this guy? Ray Epps, E-P-P-S? Big write-up by a website called Revolver News. And uh, I read something from them a few months back as well. Um, they looked into this guy, Epps, and they did, some, they did another investigation as well. So they're, they're approaching this with a belief that there were people that the FBI had in some key roles at the January 6th riot. And I don't know, uh, and I understand, like, like for Democrats and the media, but I repeat myself, they will immediately hear this and think Pete Callender is obviously pushing conspiracy theories. And I'm not. I'm, as I say, on a great many things, like, I am open to be persuaded. I would make a fantastic juror, even though I've been removed from two juries. <laughs> they don't ever want me. I think I'd be a great juror. I'm willing to entertain the information, the facts, and weigh the facts. And the facts around this guy 
leave me with questions about whether or not he has been flipped or whether or not he has a role in the federal uh, alphabet soup agencies. And I don't know this. And look, it had it not been for the Russia collusion hoax perpetrated against Trump, I would not have ever thought in this way at all. But because of that experience over the last five years, I now have to entertain this idea. News Talk 11 wbt You can hear that whole call, by the way, at WBT.com. It's worth it. <laughs> but not during my show. Don't listen very much. All righty. If Revolver News' previous reporting points to a proactive role of the federal government in relation to the conspiracy cases against Oath Keepers and Proud Boys, the Ray Epps story that follows suggests a similar yet more egregious, explicit, direct, and immediate degree of federal involvement in the breach of the Capitol itself. After months of research, Revolver News' investigative reporting team can now reveal that Ray Epps appears to be among the primary orchestrators of the very first breach of the Capitol's police barricades at 12.50 p.m. on January 6th. Epps appears to have led the breach team that committed the very first illegal acts on that fateful day. What's more, Epps and his breach team did all their dirty work with 10 minutes still remaining in President Trump's National Mall speech. And with the vast majority of Trump supporters still half an hour away from the Capitol. Second, Revolver News also determined, and will prove in this piece, that the FBI stealthily removed Ray Epps from its Capitol violence most wanted list back on July 1st, just one day after Revolver News exposed the inexplicable and puzzlesome, that would be just puzzling, FBI protection of known Epps associate and Oath Keepers leader, Stuart Rhodes. Okay, so these are the two individuals in this story. And by the way, I, I've i long believed, and I'm not the one who came up with this notion, but uh, like, for example, the, the Klan, the KKK, serves basically as a way for the FBI to plant people inside uh racist and white nationalist and extremist groups. It's basically like the purpose that it serves now. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, if like, if you ever show up to a Klan meeting, you should just assume that probably half of the people there are feds. Just good rule of thumb. <laughs> That's from what I understand in reading uh, people who have done like the infiltration work. Now, uh, it seems like, by the way, the Oath Keepers might also be one of these types of organizations. Oh, and by the way, maybe Antifa as well. Lastly, Ray Epps appears to have worked alongside several individuals, many of them suspiciously unindicted, to carry out a breach of the police barricades that induced a subsequent flood of unsuspecting MAGA protesters to unwittingly trespass on capital-restricted grounds and place themselves in legal jeopardy. So let me be clear. Just because these guys were the first ones to breach does not give everybody else permission to follow and and go through. I understand. And I understand. Like, see, this is where I get into trouble is because I do recognize nuance and complexity. I see the grays. Not everything is black and white. So, like, I understand that there were people that and I've seen the video of the Capitol Police letting people enter the doorway. I'm not talking about those people, whoever those people were like, 
the Capitol cops are like, yeah, come on in. And they're like waving them through. I think those people should be treated differently than the people who, you know, broke through barriers, beat in windows and doors and, you know, crushed people like there was a different level, you know, different degree of behavior there. I think there's a distinction in the two approaches. And I don't say that to dismiss all of the people's violence. And I don't say that to cover up for other people. Like I want people who engaged in the illegal activity to be held accountable. But I also don't think that people who were like just walking through because that's where the crowd went. I don't think they should be charged with the same thing that the other people were. See, again, like this is my default towards individualism. You should be treated as an individual. You did something wrong. You should pay the price for that. Now, that being said, I do recognize that people get swept up in mob behavior. It's why mobs are so dangerous. And I was saying this when the leftists were engaged in the mob activity, right? When they were rampaging through streets and burning down cities and the like, I was saying, this is not good. You go out there for these protests, you get a mob all whipped up into a frenzy, and there's this, uh, there's a, a you know, social uh, scientist who studied this back in like the 60s, and they talked about the uh, uh, mob activity, how people have a number. And your number may be, you know, 100, which means if you see 100 people engage in violent activity, then that would inspire you to pick up the rock and also engage in violent activity, right? But somebody else, their number might be one or two. And so they start engaging in the activity way before you do. That's why, right, mobs are generally speaking bad. Bad news. Bad news, because people do things inside of a mob, especially when they're masked up. They do stuff that they never would do individually. So the website is revolver.news. I've read some of their work over the years, and this is a very lengthy piece. I printed this thing out. It's 11 pages. Uh, and they've got tons of video and, and imagery from the January 6th riot. Um, their focus is on a fellow by the name of Ray Epps, who is one of the leaders of the Oath Keepers. And he appears to have worked alongside several individuals. Many of these people that he has worked with are not indicted. And he this is one of the guys who carried out the breach of the police barricades. Like, that to me seems, I don't know, suspicious. Don't you think that sounds suspicious? Why is a guy who led the effort to make the breach... Like, why is he, or to make the breach, to breach the, uh, to break in. Like, here's the leader. Like, why wouldn't he be indicted? Identifying Epps actually was pretty, is done pretty quickly. Because he was suspect number 16. When the FBI put out its list, they said, hey, we got all these people. We need your help, right? And so the lefties, they were like all over it. The lefties on social media, they went about, and look, the left, if there's one thing that the leftists know how to do, it is dox people, right? They can dox like anybody. So they're like, we can find these people out. And so it took them less than a week to figure out this guy's name, Ray Epps. 
And then it took the FBI, once they were given his name, the FBI sprang, you might say they pounced or seized on the information. They sprang into action, and six months later, they scrubbed him from their website. What's the deal with that? I'm just asking questions here. I think it's a pretty legitimate question to ask, don't you? Ray Epps played two roles in virtually every encounter during his commando capital tour on January 6th. First, Epps instructed his commandos and the crowds at his attention to rush into the capital and let nothing stop them. Okay? He's on video saying that to people, telling them to storm the capital, rush into the building, and don't let anything stop you. He's seen doing it during the January 6th event. He has seen saying this stuff to people the day before at events prior. Second, Epps protected cops and law enforcement so no local or federal officers would be harmed during the breaches. Suspect number 16, on, Gen- on July 1st, rather, between the hours of 3.37 a.m. and 5.55 p.m., the FBI finally took action on Ray Epps. They did not prosecute him. They did not announce a sweeping investigation or an FBI SWAT on his house, a raid on his house, you know, taking all of his cell phones and electronics. No, they took him out of the database. They wiped him out from the, uh, from the list. He disappeared as if he never existed. And you can actually see this because number 16 is missing. There's, there's a 15 and there's a 17, but 16 is gone. He's just a ghost. June 30th, Revolver News published a bombshell report exploring the extraordinary degree of federal protection afforded to founder and leader of the Oath Keepers militia, a man named Stuart Rhodes. Stuart Rhodes is the Oath Keeper head honcho guy. Um, inexplicable FBI protection of Stuart Rhodes recapped as following. Prosecutors argue that Rhodes established the Oath Keepers conspiracy. He recruited people into it. He organized and gave key instructions to the conspirators. He suggested the use of illegal weapons like collapsible batons. He activated the conspiracy in real time on January 6th via text messages and phone calls to his lieutenants. Rhodes waited on the Capitol steps for the completion of the conspiracy, and then he later congratulated everybody on a conspiracy well done. But for some reason, he's not arrested for any of this. What does Rhodes have to do with Ray Epps? Well, Ray Epps is um, Rhodes' old pal from the organization. Stuart Rhodes was Ray Epps' old boss. Back in 2011-2012, Epps was the Arizona State Chapter Leader of the Oath Keepers, the biggest Oath Keepers chapter in the country, while Rhodes was and remains the national leader. So, do you think that the national leader of the Oath Keepers would not know who Ray Epps is as the head of the largest chapter of the Oath Keepers? Do you think that the two men would not know each other? Also, the official OathKeepers.org website has now deleted several blog posts featuring events that were run by Ray Epps. 
where Epps was listed as both the president and the press contact for the Oath Keepers with Stuart Rhodes. Rhodes is the person either calling or being called in 10 of 18 phone calls. He makes the day of the riots. The Oath Keeper indictment cites 18 phone calls as evidence of coordination of a common conspiracy. So why is Rhodes and Epps not part of the 600? Then this gets to, this also raises the question of John Sullivan. You remember John Sullivan? Do you remember that guy's name? He was the one shooting the video of Ashley Babbitt, I believe was her name, the woman who was shot and killed by the Capitol Police officer as she broke through the glass and tried to get into the the area where uh, the Speaker of the House was located. The guy who was filming that, this guy by the name of John Sullivan, later turns out that he was all close with Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and all that, right? That's what, remember those stories when they initially came out? Well, amazingly, Sullivan had actually been kicked out of and permanently banned from multiple Antifa communities. Why? Antifa cell leaders suspected him of being an undercover FBI-handled agent provocateur sent to land them in jail. So Sullivan is there. And so is Rhodes, and so is Stewart. Isn't that amazing? Revolver News with a uh, very lengthy report on a fellow by the name of Gray Epps with the Oath Keepers and why he has not been indicted, even though all of this evidence that he was the ringleader on January 6th. So why isn't he indicted? Why is everybody around him indicted, but not him? I think it raises a very obvious question, right? Given the magnitude of its implications, Revolver News reports it is well worth repeating that federal foreknowledge, which is different than incitement, right? They make a point here. Let me say, uh, go back here. They say that you know we have to be careful to distinguish the case of federal foreknowledge from that of federal incitement. They are different. Federal foreknowledge, at this point, though, they claim is a virtual certainty. Just weeks ago, the New York Times itself acknowledged the presence of a Proud Boys militia member and informant who was texting to his FBI handler throughout the entire day, as well as several days in advance. Okay, so there, there's, there was obvious FBI foreknowledge of Stuff was going to go down, right? The Times notes that the presence of this informant and likely many others suggests that federal law enforcement had a greater visibility into the assault on the Capitol, even as it was taking place, than was previously known. Revolver News' groundbreaking investigative reporting on January 6th has, from the very beginning, suggested something far darker than federal foreknowledge. Instead of simply having visibility in advance of the events... And doing nothing to stop it, Revolver has pointed to overwhelming evidence suggesting a much more proactive participatory role on the part of the federal government. This sounds like what they're, I mean, they're getting right up to the line here of saying false flag, right? This is what they're saying. 
And I know what that sounds like, by the way, as I'm uttering these words. I recognize what that sounds like. But that's what this organization is arguing. Uh, they go and they they have all of this. Again, it's like a 11-page uh, eleven page report. I'm trying, trying to turn this page, and I cannot. My fingers are all dried out from the from the cold and the dry weather. Now, okay, there is one individual who's on tape encouraging the crowd to go into the Capitol. The very same individual is seen throughout the riot, corralling people towards the Capitol. "Quote where our problems are" is what he keeps saying. That same individual is on camera whispering into the ears of the men who committed the very first illegal acts. By breaking down the barricades. And yet, just like the Oath Keeper founder, Stuart Rhodes, this individual, whom we now know to be Ray Epps, so far has enjoyed an inexplicable protection from prosecution. Even more damningly, Revolver has confirmed that the FBI scrubbed him from their most wanted database just a day before Revolver News' damning investigative report on Epps's fellow Oath Keeper or sorry, a day after the first report on Stuart Rhodes. What am I supposed to make of this information? Like, I, that's a serious question. Like, what are we supposed to make of this information? Are we just supposed to say, oh, well, that's just, you know, Alex Jones Infowars type, you know, conspiracy theories. Again, I am not a conspiracy theorist kind of guy. I don't indulge them. I, when people present, you know, when people ask me questions, like I will go look into them, but I don't go into them looking to prove them, which I think a lot of people actually do. I have a another uh, study in the stack of stuff here as well about people and um, their proclivities towards conspiracy theories. And once you go down that path, by the way, you you become a sucker for every conspiracy that comes along. Yeah, it's like it, it, there's a there's a shift in your thinking that occurs. That's right, Pete. We see the truth. Finally. Okay. Did you know that Merrick Garland was the top domestic extremism prosecutor for the Justice Department? He worked with the FBI in several right-wing militia cases. Just as the Justice Department kicked off its militia infiltration operations, kicked it into high gear. The first such infiltration operation was known formally as PATCON. Started in April 1991, three FBI agents posed as members of an invented racist militia group called the Veterans Aryan Movement. According to the cover story, this Veterans Aryan Movement, or the VAM members, they robbed armored cars, they used the proceeds to buy weapons, and support racist extremism. The lead agent was a Vietnam veteran with a background in narcotics and used the alias Dave Rossi. All right. Codename PATCOM for Patriot Conspiracy. The investigation would last more than two years, crossing state and organizational lines in search of intelligence on the so-called Patriot Movement. The label applied to a wildly diverse collection of racist, ultra-libertarian, right-wing, and or pro-gun activists and extremists who over the years have found common cause in their suspicion and fear of the federal government. It's interesting to note the Fed's lead agent was a military man and a Vietnam vet, especially given Epps has a similar pedigree. Careful study of the history of Fed infiltration into militia groups reveals a pattern of using ex-military personnel to conduct such operations. 
What's more interesting, however, is how mainstream domestic extremism expert J.M. Berger describes the nature of the PatCon operations and its association, uh, sorry, its associated infiltration operations in the 90s that could have taken place under Merrick Garland's tutelage. In 1990, the FBI began picking up on rumors about an effort to reconstitute a notorious terrorist criminal gang known as The Order. To prevent the rise of a second order, FBI undercover agents would become it. They created this organization in order to recruit and thereby divert into a controlled environment. And you can, by the way, like, I have no doubt. Does any of that sound like it's a, it's a terrible idea? I'm not suggesting that it is. Like, if you're trying to do counterintelligence kind of work, like, this stuff makes sense to me. It does. This stuff makes sense. I think uh, there was a fella saying about it in a tune called Uneasy Rider, I believe. But anyway, like, this stuff makes sense. And this isn't, like, I don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to recognize the value in diverting people into these types of things. And by the way, we've seen very similar approaches occur in the fight against Islamic terrorism, too. And a lot of people on the right have no problem with that. A lot of, you know, people on the left do. I think a lot of people on the left would have no problem with this operation. People, probably people on the right might have a problem with it. To prevent the rise of a dangerous domestic terrorist group, the FBI would have to become one. Why wouldn't they do the same thing right now? Look, I would love to get answers to these questions. Maybe some uh, legacy media outlets with some pull and some clout and some access might become interested in the story. Who knows? We'll see. All right. Uh, Brett Winterville coming up next. Stay tuned. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I'll talk with you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.